You are listening to the Awaken Natchitoches podcast. Awaken Church is a diverse community of authentic love and hope where you can belong as you change and change as you follow Jesus. Good morning, everybody. Today's sermon will come from Revelations chapter 7, verses 9 through 12. And it reads, After this, I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands, and they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. All the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. They fell down on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen. Praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and strength belong to our God forever and forever. Amen. You can be seated. I was thinking about kind of how we got to this point, and uh, Tariq was reading that scripture, and I was just kind of flashing back to last, like, it was like late October, November, and we had a little gathering in my living room called the uh, Creative Offsite, and uh, Tariq brought this idea of a sermon series based on kingdom culture, and talked about all the different ways that we see ourselves as divided, or the the media tells us we're divided, and our experience should be we're one if we're in the kingdom of God. The culture of the kingdom is a oneness, right? And I was thinking back about that, about how this the idea that we're all pieces of a puzzle. And I don't know, there's our puzzle piece. I mean, just the idea, my, my wife kind of put all that together uh, using her skills and stuff. But, you know, you see the puzzle is the heart. And it's the heart of God. That's what kind of fits, you know, you think about Valentine's Day and all this stuff. But, but we are all a piece of the puzzle, and we all need each other. So we're not all of us the whole puzzle. We all need each other. The question is, do you see the bigger picture, right? So today we're going to get a little further into looking at that bigger picture a little bit. So what does it mean to follow Jesus and be more like him in a world that seems so set on division? That's, that's like a big question that we have got to wrestle with, and we're going to. So what are some ways we see division happening in our culture? Like, 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 and like complete this sentence for me. As people, we can divide ourselves by answer. Finances. Finances. Good. What else? Race. Ethnicity, gender, yep. What else? If you like pineapple on pizza, should we should we ask that? Should we start a riot? No. No. <laughs> Is it okay? Here's one. Last time I asked this, it's been a, it's been a minute. Last time I asked this, we literally had to like stop and keep people from fighting. Is it GIF or is it GIF? GIF. Period. GIF. GIF period. There is no other. <laughs> All right, all right, all right. Yeah, so what, uh, any other thing else? We talked, we had, somebody else have one? Politics. Politics. Woo! Ouch, that's a big one. Other ways, religion. religion. Took yours, took your answer. How about this one? Who you got? Kansas City, San Francisco. Right? I'm still going for the Saints. I'm still, I still have hope, right? Still going for that, right? So, here we go. 
as Tariq, he spoke last week and brought the word, and he pointed out something that I don't know if everybody's clear on, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to remind us here this morning. I'm white. <laughs> He's like, Pastor Steve is a white man. You know, it's something he added on there about twice my age, which I'm probably a little bit more than twice your age too. But, but you know, thank you for that, by the way, Tariq. So, yeah, I'm a white, middle-class male. I'm from the South. Um, I mean, I, I realized something about this, though. So uh, there's a word that's come up, kind of come along in the last few years that's been kind of polarizing, and some people like feel like very defensive when they hear it. But it's true. I've realized there's, there's a privilege that goes with that. I've, I've seen this. My eyes have been open to that. And I've said, okay, I see what you're talking about now. And so I understand that there is a, a privilege that goes with being a white, middle-class male, especially in the South. And I've also experienced in recent years been like a growth in prejudice towards being what I am. And I also kind of take a step back to that and go, but what do I even know of discrimination? I mean, I kind of take that, there's a little prejudice now because I'm a white, middle-class male. But now, like, why do I even know of discrimination? How could, why would I be offended by that? I mean, I don't know anything of real discrimination. Uh, you know, what qualifies me to speak on race and gospel? I think that's the question, like, when Tariq pitched, pitched this, and I'm like, I feel like you're supposed to bring that sermon, bro, and then it's like, well, we're going to make a series on it. And I'm like, well, what right do I have to speak on this? What's the qualification? And I think the gospel itself is the, is the true qualification. I mean, that the qualifies me or anybody to speak on race and the gospel. It's the gospel that's the true qualification. The gospel is, you know, where Jesus is the subject. And none of the other stuff is the subject. We'll get more into that in a few minutes. But none of the ways we divide ourselves is the subject. Our politics is not the subject. Our, our uh, skin color is not the subject. Our gender is not the subject. Our economic status is not the subject. Our, our religion or our denomination is not the subject. Jesus is the subject. And we need to keep that the, the main thing here. So when it comes to me, I'm, okay, I'm a white male. But you know, I'm not just a white man. I am Scottish, Irish, German, Austrian. That's a whole mix right there. Okay, yeah, it's all white. But, I'm a, but, I, but, but it's a mix right there. But if you go on my mother's side, my great-great-grandmother is Native American from the Tunica tribe. So oh, I'm not quite completely all white. So I've got a little bit of, of you know, I'm all white with this little splash of cool, I guess. That's it. That, that's, you know, but that's who, who I've grown to be. And, I, you know, I grew up in, in West Monroe, Louisiana. I went to West Monroe High School. And West Monroe High School is known, if you ever, if you, I don't know if anybody, because it's not like super famous, but, but it's been called the most racist high school in America. And the why it's called that is because of the mascot. The mascot is the, called the Rebels. And the mascot is a Confederate soldier who comes out with a, with a Confederate flag. I get now why that's offensive. I didn't you know, back in the 80s when I went to school and I graduated and all that stuff, and we were go Rebs and I put the, the, that, that flag on everything. I was like, but now I look at that and go, man, I was clueless. But you know what? When I went to school there, it was a 50% black and white school, half and half, African-American, Caucasian. And we got along. Yeah, you had your cliques, like every high school's got cliques. But we all got along. There was no the black side of school and the white side of school. We just all were there, all of us. That was my experience. That's where I'm coming from. We lived in South Florida where I was associate pastor of a, of a very multicultural church for a few years. And there in the community we lived in was more multicultural than the church that I was the associate pastor of. The community I lived in, I, we were one of the few Caucasian families. There was Hispanic from every different nation. And I've come to learn a lot that from every different uh, uh, country in South America and Central America, that's not all the same. <laughs> Cultures are completely different. We had neighbors who were from uh, uh, Jamaica. 
we had neighbor, one neighbors from Sweden. It was like all this culture and stuff that helped me kind of come to this place where I'm like, you know what? I realized some things. And I've had, I, I, was say, I didn't, never thought I was a prejudiced person. I'm like, but I really feel like now God's been setting us up to qualify somebody to speak towards this that needs to be spoken to. And I'm not the only one speaking on this either, but, but I appreciate that the Holy Spirit moved through Tariq's idea to bring this to us. Because what I understand is the media calls this, this stuff racial lines. And I get there's some, there's some reality to that, but it's not, it doesn't have to be as divisive as the media would have us think. For a number of years, uh, I just have wrestled with this, and so I'm <laughs> finally we're going to touch about it. So, so honestly, I have more friends, like like close friends, who are multicultural than those who look as me, because what we have in common is Jesus. Jesus is the common factor, and so I recognize this. At the same time, I, I come at this and go, okay, I realize at, at 50 years old, I'm still discovering who I am. I'm still discovering what it means for me to, to that. My prayer, my prayer is, is that I and this community of faith would just seek to become more like Jesus. As I'm just going to know who I am, I would rather be defined by, am I more like Jesus or am I a white man or if I'm from the South or am I Democrat, Republican? I'm actually a Republican. I took a test. It told because I was like, I don't know who to vote for. I believe I, I kind of go on this side with some of these groups. Politically, I'm kind of on this side. All my liberal friends say, well, you're just a conservative. All my conservative says, oh, you're just a liberal. And I'm like, okay, what am I? I took a test. They put online. If you've seen those tests, who should you vote for? It told me, don't vote. You're a Republicrat. Like, I didn't even know that was a thing. Crazy. So we're going to go deeper into the word this morning, Revelation 7, and look at what color is the church? What color is it? Because I've heard this term. I've been church my whole life. My dad's a pastor. I was born into it. And, and especially since I've been in ministry now, it'll be uh, 22 years this year, the black, you know, the black church and the white church. There's only one church. What color is the church? So let's talk about it. Here's our big idea. God's radically diverse church must lead the way in radical unity and diversity in our culture. I believe it's not going to come from government. I believe it's not going to come from entertainment. It's not going to come from, uh, it's not going to come from that. It's not going to come from education. It's going to come from the church. God's radically diverse church must lead the way in radical unity and diversity in our culture. So here's the first thought I want to spend. I'm going to, we're going to look at a picture. The, uh, the church is a picture this morning. And the church is a picture of diversity. The church is a picture of diversity. This revelation passage that we, we looked at, that we're going to look at it again some more. It's a glimpse into heaven. It's, a, it's, a, it's written by this guy named John. He's a, he's a disciple of Jesus. The same guy that wrote the, the, that letter we read from last week, 1 John. Tariq read that letter, 1 John, where he says, If we don't love people we can see, how can we love God whom we cannot see? This is the same guy, John. And he's, he's writing this from exile. He's, a, he's basically in prison, but he's in exile. Like, not even in prison with other people. He's on this island, and he's put aside. And he's writing this letter called Revelation. It's a vision that he's been given, and it's a vision written from exile. And a visionary often writes from exile. Here's a couple of examples of that. First one is uh, Nelson Mandela. Nelson Mandela was, uh, this is, you know, my, I grew up with this. In, in the 80s, they were singing songs about Nelson Mandela, even pop songs. And, and he was in, in 27 years imprisoned in South Africa. And Nelson Mandela said to be free is not merely to cast off one's chains, but to live in a way that respects and enhances the freedom of others. 
He said that from prison, from being 27 years in prison. He's talking about freedom. He's talking about, it's not just, you know, the chains. It's talking about how do you, how do you enhance somebody else's life so that they lose their chains? That's true freedom. Awesome. Another man we're probably more familiar with is Dr. Martin Luther King in, from, from a Birmingham jail. He wrote this. It's, it's actually famous now called Letters from a Birmingham Jail. It takes you maybe a little less than an hour to read this. I would say look it up. Go to the library or probably Google it, find it online, and read it. And one of the quotes from that is, let us all hope. He wrote this from jail, y'all. Let us all hope that the dark clouds of racial prejudice will soon pass away and the deep fog of misunderstanding will be lifted from our fear-drenched communities. That deep fog has, keeps lifting. In Jesus' name, it keeps lifting. And we keep trying to grab it down. I see it all the time. It's like, man, that fog seems to be lifting. And then something else happens. And it's like, oh, let's pull the fog back down. Jesus is like, that fog, I'm lifting the fog. Y'all quit pulling it down again. So how is it possible to have diversity and not be divided? Ooh, that's a good question. That, and, and, but it's possible. I do believe. We get some examples of that. So, so John writes Revelation, and this is during the Roman Empire, and it's during the persecution of Christians. It's during a war, actually, that's taking place. And John has been exiled under an emperor named Domitian. And he is, he's exiled out here. And from this imprisoned place, he has this vision, and he writes it down. He sees the God's kingdom revealed. He sees revealed Jesus is the Lamb of God. Jesus is the Lion of Judah. And the church is, huh, the church is this. I saw a vast crowd, too great to count, from every nation and tribe and people and language, standing in front of the throne and before the Lamb. They were clothed in white robes and held palm branches in their hands, and they were shouting with a great roar. Salvation comes from our God who sits on the throne and from the Lamb. He says, that's the church. He sees the church. Now, we're, you know, I kind of came out of this, the, come from, not out of, but from this uh, network of churches, not really denomination, but network of churches. And back in the olden days, they used to say, brother, have you seen the church? Sister, have you seen the church? And yet, they would not be every nation, every tongue, every... It would be same, color, same skin color, same language, saying, have you seen the church? Oh, I've seen the church. But John says, this is what it means to see the church. Yeah. This is what it means. It's, it's, a, it's a picture of diversity. He hears, he, he, you know, from this imprisoned place, he, he, he sees ethnic diversity, cultural diversity. He, he hears dialects. He hears accents. He's like, man, you're from the South, and you're from Boston, you're from California, you're from England. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. John sees the church. So God made humanity diverse, and it is beautiful. God, God made this humanity diverse. He made it that way. He made it this way. And it's beautiful. God says... Oh, God, actually, he sees you. He doesn't just say, I see you. He sees you. He sees you fully as you are. He sees you fully. And he sees me fully for who I am. And for me to love you the way God loves you, I have to see you fully, too. I have to learn to see you as God sees you, as one he loves, as one he absolutely loves. So this vision in Revelation 7 reminds us of this. Love is to see and respect our differences. I like to come in sometimes and say, um, I've said this before too, you know, I try to be colorblind. And I think what God wants to do, he wants to see all the colors yeah. and love them and respect them. You don't have to like change them. 
just honor them enough to get to know the different colors. Love and receive. Love is to see and respect our differences. So church is a reflection of God's kingdom of love. That's what church is. It's a reflection of God's kingdom of love. And it's a picture of diversity. But it's not only a picture of diversity. It's a picture of unity. Church is a picture of unity. Later today, there's going to be kind of this thing that unifies a lot of people, in our, especially in our nation. In our nation, all over the country, mostly people from Kansas City or San Francisco, people are going to be gathered in this stadium in Miami. I love, I love South Florida. They're going to be gathered in this stadium, but they're also going to be gathered around TV sets all over this country, unified by a football game. Here's where I have a pastor friend who says, "This is where you bring in the Jesus juke." <laughs> How do we let us not, ourselves not be unified in the church? Well, a football game can bring us all together. Regardless of what skin color you are, economic place you're at, as long as you don't have Fox on Dish Network, you can watch the Super Bowl. <laughs> I'm not salty at all. But that's all right. We found a way. Brought together, united for this moment or a few hours, despite all our differences by a football game. So when it comes to church, what draws in ra- this radically diverse group called church together in this thing? That's called the church. I mean, what draws and keeps a radically diverse group together? Because it's not, we don't have a football game to cheer for, or commercials to wait to see. Well, John in Revelation 7, he sees this crowd, too great to number. He says, too great to count. The 144,000 thing I just said just before this in chapter 7, that, that's one thing. This is, this is the true church. You can't count it. You can't count it. It's diversity. But John also sees unity in this. They all are dressed, the same. they all look the different, they sound different, but they're all wearing the right robe and carrying a palm branch. That's, that's a symbol of worship. Both those symbols of worship, that's all that is. Symbols of worship. And they're worshiping, verse 10 says, they're shouting. Then you go down to verse 12, it says they join with the angels and they're singing. They're shouting and they're singing. That's what they're doing in unity. What brought and held this gathering together was the glory of Jesus. That's what brings and holds together the the church. This vast, diverse crowd is drawn together in worship and and is drawn to live as one. This is a picture of the the reality of the church, but also the reality of the eternity of the church. Forever to live together as one. Jesus draws us together to worship and to live as one. That's what he does. He draws us together to worship as one and to live together as one. So Awaken Church, this church startup, this, this church plant, this, this church family that's got room for more. This is a vision from God. It's not my idea. I'm thankful that God put the idea in some other people's minds and mine, in my, in my heart. But it all came from God. It's a vision from God. He's given us a vision to be a church that's diverse, to plant a movement of churches, not just be a church in Natchitoches, but to get eventually to plant a movement of churches that are diverse. But, but we experience this authentic unity at the same time, centered around the worship of Jesus. That's why we keep coming back to Jesus is the subject. And I've had these conversations. You, know, you want to plant a church that's multicultural and, and multi-generational? That's impossible. Uh, that won't happen in Natchitoches. Those words literally spoke to me. That's impossible. You know what? I'm okay with running toward the impossible things of God rather than do what's possible in my own strength, my own intelligence. 
I've been doing this a while, and I need God. But I got to a place. I was honest. Before I started doing this, I was at a place where I was like in my own talents that God gave me, strength, my own intelligence. I was able to pastor pretty well. And I stepped into this, and I'm like, I can't do this. I can't plant a church with, starting with nobody in a town where I don't know anybody, with a bunch of college students that, that's going to probably be our main people that we connect with. And I was even told, you can't, you can't, have a, you can't plant a church with college students. It's impossible. You can't have a multicultural church. It's impossible. And God kept saying, run towards what I'm leading you to. So I'm running towards the things of God. And I'd rather do that than do the ease into what's possible in my own strength, my own intelligence. So there's a gap, yes, from, from where we are now and where we want to be. That's why it's called a vision. <laughs> it's a vision to grow into this. Um, you know, to, that's why we have a vision to be a church with a kingdom culture. We're developing the kingdom culture. And we don't have it completely figured out yet. There's times we mess up. There's times where I've, I've actually had said some things and I like, like I'll turn to like Caleb or Tariq and go, hey, is that offensive? Remember I said that? Fody foe. And I was like, wait a minute, is, is that offensive? Because I was told one time, that's just how I was yelling at a football game, go 44, go 44. And I was like, shh, don't, don't offend somebody. I'm like, well, I wasn't trying to. I just, how I yell it. I don't know why. My brothers let me off the hook. I said, you, you want to say 44? Say 44. <laughs> thank you for your, your grace, my brothers. The idea of unity is grounded not in historical or philosophical reality. It's grounded in spiritual reality. The idea of unity, Nelson Mandela, Dr. King, both of them came from a spiritual place. Not a philosophical place, not a historical place, but from a spiritual place. Unity is grounded in a spiritual reality. So we have seen this, 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 vision, this, this vision for unity. And it's rooted in scripture, if we were to be honest. It's rooted in the word of God. The church that is a church of God is, is a picture of unity in diversity. It's not just unity and diversity, but unity in diversity. Because the church is a picture of Jesus. Ultimately, that's what we're talking about. When we had this idea of we're all a piece of the puzzle, and we all have to connect together to make the one big picture. None of us is the one picture. We all need to connect together. But the one picture I'm learning is this picture, next picture, should, I hope is up here, of Jesus. There's the, there's the puzzle. I found this online. I'm like, whoa. When all the pieces come together and fit together like they're supposed to, that's a picture of Jesus. The church comes together in unity and diversity is a picture of Jesus. That's what I want to awaken church to be. That's what God wants his church to be. Regardless of what name is on the sign out front or who the pastor is or the worship leader or, or the, the whatever, he wants us to look like Jesus, to come together and be that. We're all pieces of the puzzle. Do you see the bigger picture yet? Jesus is the subject. That means nothing else is a subject. Nothing else. Diversity. It's, church is a picture of diversity, but diversity is not the subject. Unity. Unity is a big one. Kind of what my, my theology has been founded on. Unity, salvation, and holiness. Those three main things. Unity, salvation, and holiness. None of those three are actually the subject. The subject is Jesus. Jesus makes all these things possible. So unity and diversity is only going to happen when we run to and gather around Jesus. 
That's only that's only when it's going to happen. People ask me, well, how's it? How are you making it happen? We're running to Jesus. We're keeping Jesus the subject, and He's doing it. What's your strategy for being multicultural? What's your strategy for reaching college students, reaching across those those age lines? You know, ways we divide ourselves. I heard for the last probably ten years, where are those millennials? Blah blah blah. <laughs> now I'm hearing, okay, boomer. Oh, millennials, grumble, grumble, grumble. Okay, boomer. Stop divide. I'm in Gen. I'm Gen X. I'm in the middle. We're, it's our fault. We said here we are now. Entertain us. You guys are all entertaining us. Thanks. The church is a picture of Jesus. So here we get a picture of this uh, in Ephesians chapter two. We're going to dig deeper into this next week. Actually, Ephesians two next week. If you want to get a heads up on where we're going to go next with this, we're going to take that Ephesians two and dig deeper into that. But just for a minute, I want to kind of sidetrack over to that real quick because it, it applies this morning. Ephesians two. Beginning verse 13, says, Now you have been united with Christ Jesus. Once you were far away from God, but now you've been brought near to him through the blood of Christ. For Christ himself has brought peace to us. He united Jews and Gentiles into one people, when in his own body on the cross he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. He broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. He did this by ending the system of the law with its commandments and regulations. He made peace between Jews and Gentiles by creating in himself one new people from the two groups. Together as one body, Christ reconciled both groups to God by means of his death on the cross, and our hostility toward each other was put to death. He brought this good news of peace to you Gentiles who were far away from him and peace to the Jews who were near him. Now all, who, now all of us can come to the Father through the same Holy Spirit because of what Christ Jesus has done for us. In Ephesians 2, this is written to both uh, Jewish and Gentile followers of Jesus. And we'll dig deeper into what all that means next week. But let's just put it this way. Jews and Gentiles were different from each other in every kind of way. They were completely different. It's even, and so this was displayed in the temple in Jerusalem. It talks about this dividing wall of hostility. There literally was a wall. If you were a Gentile, but you started following the God of the Jews, you could come into this section, but you couldn't go past the wall. Only Jews were allowed on the other side of the wall. And there was actually a, a sign on the wall, not attached to the wall, written in stone on the wall. If you're a Gentile and you pass this point, you will be dead. You will die. It's not like God will strike you down. It's like we will take you out and kill you because you're not allowed here. Welcome to church. <laughs> what? This is the reality he's writing to here. This dividing wall of hostility was literal. And he writes in this letter in Ephesians and says, Jesus has now destroyed the dividing wall of hostility. He does that today with any wall of hostility we have. Because while these dividing walls of hostility are still being built, we, we acknowledge that at the very top this while ago. To all the different ways we see ourselves, can see ourselves as divided. These are all divi dividing walls of hostility that come up, be it Physical walls, maybe, but, but probably not so much. Probably economics, education, opportunity, walls that indicate that we, who gets in and who doesn't. And Jesus destroyed the dividing wall of temple and the ancient temple, uh, of hostility in the ancient temple. So now his followers, we have to do the same in our culture. Jesus and his church are out to dismantle the dividing walls of hostility. He's calling us to dismantle them. 
I tweeted out this morning prayer request on, on Twitter. I don't do that a lot. Usually I just text my, my prayer partners and say I'm praying. But today I just tweeted, like, today I'm preaching on what color is the church. I'm going to punch. We're going to take the, the, the dividing wall of hostility and punch it in the mouth. I don't know that it has a mouth, but we're going to punch it in the mouth. Prayers, I really appreciate the prayers. I know some, somebody out there is praying even from Twitter today, and I'm thankful for that. Because this is something the enemy doesn't want to see happen. The enemy of God's church doesn't want dividing walls of hostility to come down. Doesn't want the fog to be lifted that Jesus already lifted. Jesus destroys the dividing walls of hostility. He's also a creator, though. Jesus is not just a destroyer. He's also a creator. That's what's so good. Not just a destroyer, but a creator. Jesus destroys the, divi- the walls that divide us, but he also creates a new humanity. It said it right here in Ephesians 2. We become more human and more our true selves in Jesus. We become more human and more our true selves in Him. So Jesus transforms me. He transforms what it means for me to be a man. He transforms what it means for me to be, to be a white middle-aged man from the South. Jesus redeems that and He transforms that. And gives me new eyes. Awakened to His church. To His glory to his reality to his culture Jesus is the means and the end of our racial justice and reconciliation and his church it can happen in his church before we end there's a, there's a real quick passage in Acts chapter 6 that says this shows it can happen because it happened even in the very first couple of churches in Acts 6, it says, All the believers multiplied. There were rumblings of discontent. The Greek-speaking believers complained about the Hebrew-speaking believers, saying their own widows were being discriminated against in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve called a meeting of all the believers, and they said, We apostles should spend our time teaching the word of God, not, not, not running out a food program. And so, brothers, select seven men who are well-respected and are full of the spirit and wisdom. We will give them this responsibility. Then the apostles can spend our time in prayer and teaching the word. And everyone liked this idea, and they chose the following. Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit. Philip, Procurus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenius, and Nicholas of Antioch, an earlier convert to the Jewish faith. These seven men were, were presented to the apostles who prayed for them, and they laid their hands on them. So God's message continued to spread. The number of believers greatly increased in Jerusalem, and many of the Jewish priests were converted too. It's a cross-cultural congregation. There's a prejudice problem emerged. A discrimination problem emerged in the church. And they stayed together and they faced it head on. They didn't have a church split. They stayed together and they worked it out. They found leaders in the church community who were among those being wronged. And they allowed those leaders to lead them forward. They didn't say, oh, well, let's try and fix it for you. They said, let's get you, you guys know how it feels. Let's work it out. They didn't divide. They united and they listened. They recognized that discrimination they were facing was, it, it was something that would deface the gospel of Jesus Christ. It would mar. It would, it would make it uh, something less than it should be. And they addressed it. And they kept Jesus the subject. And I'm reminded that in Christ we have unity in our diversity. And we need to repent of any heart or mindset that, uh, that one people group matters more than another. And repent means not just say out loud. It means to go a different way to take action, to take steps. It means if I realize I've been stepping this way and it's been like those guys who are discriminating, maybe not, probably unintentionally, but I see it, oh man, then I need to go this way. 
and stop all that. That's what repent means. In Christ, we have unity in our diversity. May our worship be worship that's around the throne of Jesus. And may it be a reflection of this worship that we see in Revelation 7. Because God's radically diverse church must lead the way in radical unity and diversity in our culture. I think everybody agrees but that I talk to you anyway. Oh, we really need, we need just, something needs to happen. I believe with everything in me that God's calling the church to make it, to do it. Show this world what unity looks like. Unity and diversity. So next step. I would just say, you know, one thing, pray about, no, God, what do you want, to, what, you want me to do with this? He's already, he's working on, I don't know if you can tell, he's working on me overtime on what I do with this. He said, God, what do you want me to do with this? And I would suggest, you know what, maybe one next step could be this week, show, show a kindness. Maybe something not really big, maybe something small, maybe something a little bit bigger. I don't know what it could be, but something that's kindness. Show some kindness this week to someone who's different from you. Maybe it's ethnic, uh, ethnicity, age, gender, religion, political position, whatever. Someone who's different from your own and show a kindness to them. And do it intentionally. Do it prayerfully. Start your day. God, I got a lot to do today. I got test. I got practice. I got, I got all this. But give me an opportunity today to show your kindness to somebody completely different from me. Start with intentionality. And I promise you, God will bring somebody across your path. Just be ready to show kindness to them. Lord, we love you. Thank you for the kindness you show to us. Because, Lord, we just keep on going against, your, uh, against the grain. And we just pray, Lord, you would just, by your Holy Spirit, your strength, guide us, Lord, into your ways. Thank you, Lord, for just already doing this stuff. We're, we're, we're working out in the flesh. But Lord, you've already won this victory. You've already... You've already tore down the dividing wall of hostility, yet we keep, even in the church, we keep trying to, 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 to build them up for some reason. That's part of the human nature, part of the brokenness and fallenness that we experience. The Lord, keep t- continue to lead us out of that in our personal lives, our personal relationships. Lord, where there's repentance needed, Lord, I pray that it would take place in this moment. For those of us in the room or those joining online or listening to the podcast or the sermon or whatever, Lord, that, that if, there's a, if there's repentance that's needed, that we would do it now and begin to walk in the path you have for us in unity in our diversity. Begin to see each other the way you see us, different and beautiful with love. God, thank you for seeing us like you see us, like nobody else can. You see everything, and you choose to love us. Help us to love each other and see each other the same way. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Awaken Natchitoches podcast. It's our hope that you have been encouraged by today's message. Find out more about Awaken Church at awakenla.church. Or find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Awaken Church LA.